You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Northeast. So I had someone ask me about this title not too long ago. They weren't really connected here, but they saw the uh, graphic on Facebook, and they were like, so what's, what's going on with this series? And I thought about it for a moment. Here we go. I thought, you know, maybe the best way to explain it is to say it. Because that three-letter phrase, you can say in multiple ways, and one of the first ways you can say it is with, with a sigh. Here we go. Uh, four Mondays ago, I found myself making my way through an eight paragraph email. And every paragraph was written, well written, like a war drum, just pounding out words welded to tear me down and tear into our church. It was brutal. And I thought, you know, Michelle calls me weird. So maybe you'll get this and maybe you'll connect with it. It was so over the top. I thought, you know what I need to do? I've got to frame this bad boy. So I printed it out, framed this, and put it on my desk. Now, I don't typically blast personal correspondence through public airwaves, but I think we can learn a lot from this email. I'm not going to let you read it. I'm not going to read it. We're not not really going to talk about the content necessarily. But I think we can learn a lot from it because what it does is it puts us face-to-face with Peter's first century readers. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And when I read this email, I have to admit, initially it dinged me a little bit. And I read through it a couple of times and I thought, wow, this is just like the first century. I'm facing some opposition here. There's some conflict and there's some intense criticism. And that was the life, the daily life of Peter's first readers. There was opposition, there was conflict, and there was criticism. Now, what do you do with that? Sometimes it's easy just to sigh and say, here we go, here we go. And that's what I was tempted to do. So I'm praying through it. First Peter really spoke to me. Notice what he says to his readers engaged in conflict and criticism. Verse 7, notice this. The end of all things is near. There's the framework. Everything comes to an end, even conflict, even criticism. It ends. The end of all things is near. Therefore, once it's framed, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And did, did you notice the twist? That's really what I want you to get. Did you notice the twist? For me, usually when I come to God in prayer, I'm praying for clarity. I'm praying for self-control. Peter says, no, 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 no. When you want to engage God in prayer, you bring a clear mind. You bring a sense of self-control so that you can engage God in prayer. You can interact with him so that you can really hear what he has to say to you. Be clear-minded and self-controlled. But when you think about a clear mind, what's behind Peter's words? It actually comes from a Greek term that means sanity or the proper perspective. So when you come to God in prayer, you want to come with a proper perspective of what's going on, even if it's conflict, even if it's criticism. 
You bring perspective to your prayer. So how do you do that? Well, when you think about clear, the very first thing you do is if you open up your email and you see something that's way over the top, you consider the source. Can I trust or can I not trust this individual? Every Thursday morning from 7.30 to 9 o'clock, you'll find me at Starbucks here in Hamburg. And I'm sitting across the table from my boy, Paul Phillips. And every week we talk about life, we talk about ministry, we just talk about everything we can. And sometimes he sends constructive criticism my way. And every time he does, I tune in and I listen because I know my friend Paul and I know what he's saying to me. He has my best interest in mind. So when you get some criticism, conflict comes your way, consider the source. Who's saying this? Also, L, listen carefully. I told you the email dinged me a little bit, but I intentionally reread through it several times so that I could listen to what this person was saying. Listen carefully to the criticism that comes your way. And when you're set up to do that, you'll expect, expect conflict. Our leader, our Lord Jesus said, in this world, here and now, you're going to have trouble. You're not exempt from it. I'm not exempt from it. It's going to come our way. Conflict, criticism, people trying to tear you down. Expect it. And when you're set up for that, you can accept any truth. Rereading through the email, I look for any hint of truth that was coming my way. And even if it wasn't pleasant, I planned to accept it, to learn from it, and to grow from it. And R, make sure you respond well to conflict and criticism. This may mean you don't respond personally. Or it may mean you don't respond immediately. You think through, consider the source, listen carefully, expect, you know, this is just part of life, accept the truth, and then respond well. And that responding well, I think it leads us into what Peter said, clear mind, but also self-controlled. When you come to God in prayer, you bring a sense of self-control. And behind that, those two terms, is this idea of presence. When you come to God in prayer, you want to be fully present, not distracted, fully engaged with the moment, interacting with your God who loves you, clear-minded, self-controlled. In our family, self-leadership is huge. Michelle and I push it on each other. We push it on our kiddos. Self-leadership, the ability to take responsibility for my feelings and my thoughts to self-regulate so that I'm not just reacting, I'm responding intentionally to what's going on in life. And I tell you, when conflict or criticism comes your way, it can knock you off your feet and you can have a knee-jerk reaction. Self-control. I actually got a heads up about this email. So over the top, so over the top. Steve Smith called me a Sunday after church and he said, hey, David, just want to touch base with you. Um, I want to come by your house and pray with you uh, regarding the email, the hate-filled email that you received. And I said, what email? Hadn't even heard about it. And he said, oh no, oh no, I'm so sorry I tuned you into that. And he said, listen, do me a favor, do me a favor. It's only like one o'clock Sunday. He said, don't read it today. Wait till in the morning and then read it. You know, that's a big ask right there. 
hold off, don't read it. I was sitting in my car when he called and I thought, he's right. If I get out my phone, open up my inbox and I read through this, it's going to derail me. I have a meeting with my family and I have life group tonight. If I read this, it's going to distract me and I don't think I can be fully present for the people that need me. So in my car, with the best clarity and self-presence I could, I prayed for the strength to just hold off and read the email in the morning. I was able to do so, so I come in my office Monday morning. So one of the first things I did, I read through it. It dinged me, shook me up a little bit, reread it a few times. I thought about my family that night because we do this thing. You've heard me talk about the huddle. At dinner, uh, we introduce something that's very important to us. We talk about a Bible verse, and then we go around the table and share about what that means. So that evening, after reading this email, I thought, reaction versus response. Reaction versus response. I thought, great idea. We're sitting around the table, finishing up with the meal. And I go around and I ask the kiddos, after telling them and my wife about this email, I say, what would a reaction look like? When you're facing criticism or conflict and you're uncomfortable in a situation or relationship, what is your knee-jerk reaction? So we go around the table and little Isabella says, when I'm uncomfortable, I just want to scream. Any screamers? Anybody raise their voice? Yell. Sophie said, when I'm uncomfortable or I feel criticized, I want to just leave the room, go to my room, and slam the door. Any door slammers? Christian said, well, I want to think through it and do whatever I can, say whatever I can, to just smooth it over. Any smoother overs? Michelle said, I really like when something's going on, I feel criticized, where there's conflict, I want to clean aggressively. And I can see her with an SOS pad cleaning the sides of the sink and everything like that. Any aggressive cleaners? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I was thinking about me and I didn't want to answer. I asked them, I said, you you tell me, what do I do? What's my knee-jerk reaction? And in our huddle, they get in their own little huddle and they start talking about it and it goes on and on and they're throwing out these things and choosing the best one. I'm like, time out, just share one. But they say, Daddy, when, when you feel uncomfortable because of conflict or criticism, you nitpick. You focus on everything that's small and probably insignificant in the moment. And you just nitpick. Anybody else do that? So when there's conflict or criticism, Peter says, time out. Clear mind, self-control, then you pray. Then you pray. Michelle spoke up and said, you know what? This reminds me of my favorite Bible verse. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. But you, you, you follower of Christ, you keep your head in all situations, no matter what's coming at you, no matter what you're reading. You give thought to your ways. Ken Sandy wrote the book called The Peacemaker, and I love this quote. He says, when you're dealing with important issues or sensitive people, you should think in advance about what you will say. I think that applies to prayer. I think that's what Peter is saying. 
Because when we pray, we're often talking with God about important issues or about some, someone or something sensitive going on in our lives. And Peter says, when that's the case, you bring a sense of clarity and composure, a clear mind and self-control, and then you engage God with prayer. And that's important because sometimes life will come at you and it'll make you say, here we go. But that's not the only way to say it. I think you can say, here we go, with a squint. You know, your eyes narrow a little bit and you say, here we go. Here we go. Notice what Peter does next in verse 8. He says, above all, once you're engaging God in prayer with a sense of perspective and presence, above all, love each other deeply. Why? Because love, it covers over a multitude of sin. Let's hang out there for just a moment. The word love, have you ever noticed how love can be commanded? How the Bible commands us to love each other? It's kind of odd, isn't it? Because we typically think of love as this emotion. You've heard us pastors say, well, there's several Greek words for love, and there really are. And this particular word, it's not emotive. It's not about emotion. It's about energy. It's not about a feeling or what's going on in your mind. It's not irrational. Instead, it's intentional energy directed towards someone to build them up, to inspire them, to positively influence them. That's what love is, and that's why it can be commanded. Even if there's conflict or criticism, you can be called upon to love someone. And why? Because that kind of energy, it covers over a multitude of sin And when you and I talk about sin, we talk about missing the mark. There's this target that God wants us to aim at. And when you and I sin, we miss that target. We miss the mark. It happens to me. It happens to you. At times, we all miss. We miss. And sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it complicates things when we miss. And that's why we're called to love each other deeply when we miss. We build up. We send positive energy towards someone to encourage and inspire. When Peter wrote this, he actually wrote this because it's rooted in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, actually. And the writer of Proverbs, when he was outlining chapter 10, that section, he was comparing and contrasting the wise and the foolish. And he says that the foolish, they're all about fracturing relationships. That what, that's what fools do. They fracture relationships because when someone misses, they're all over it in the most unhealthiest of ways. But the wise, the wise want health. That's why they work hard. The wise work hard to help and to heal and to love so that they can cover when someone misses So when I read through this very combative correspondence, I was really concerned as a pastor. As a pastor, I was really concerned. I heard a guy say one time, and I fully agree. He said, there is this growing trend to cast stones first and ask questions later. I fully agree with that. Casting stones first and asking questions later. And I think that's rooted in, in another growing trend this trend to overlook some painfully practical 
wisdom from Scripture, painfully practical wisdom of Scripture. And I want, if you don't mind, to give them to you kind of rapid fire, if you will. We'll just hang out on them in a moment. I'll give you four or five verses. And I think these are often overlooked, but they're how you and I are supposed to engage and embrace one another. Think about my friend, and I think about Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins, if he misses, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Go. Don't write him a scathing email. Go to him. Talk about it. If you're familiar with this verse, you'll know that it's, it's in a section where Jesus has just finished talking about how a shepherd lovingly guides his sheep. In other words, this has nothing to do with any type of condemnation where you're just pointing out the mistakes or sins of others, but it has everything to do with restoration, restoring a relationship. Think about Ephesians 4.15, where we are called to speak the truth in love. And when you learn that balance, you grow up, you mature as a follower of Christ. That's an indicator that you are excelling with your Christianity. You're moving forward in your faith. You can balance that speaking truth in love because it's so easy to lecture people with the law. It's so easy to lecture them about their wrongs when they miss It's a little more challenging to come along and say, you know what? I'm not going to just bump you over the head with what you've done wrong. I'm going to help show you what is right in this moment. Speak the truth in love. I think about Philippians 4, 5, where Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And about the third round of reading this email, I had to check myself and remind myself this point right here. I said, David... This is really important, really important. One of the best ways to breathe grace onto someone is in a moment of difficulty to generate gentleness in how you respond because it's evident if gentleness is there or if it's absent, it's evident to all people. And I said, David, remind yourself that you're a leader And if this email circulates and the people who read it and the people who are aware of it, people take their cues from leaders. They look to the leader's response. You may not be a leader in the church, but I bet you're a leader out in your office in the marketplace somewhere. And you're a leader in your home. And people look to you. I said, my response to this is really, really important. Handle yourself wisely. Uh, thankfully, I got some more uplifting literature to read. I received an email from one of our elders regarding uh, this writing. And it was rooted in Galatians 6.10. And this is so important for every single one of us to get. Elder Simeon, no, I called him. We had a great conversation. It was up, uplifting, inspiring, and so forth. But are you familiar with this passage? Galatians 6.10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, comma, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, especially to those of us who belong to the family of believers. There should be a built-in buffer in every local church so that when you get connected or become part of that church, 
You don't have to face the same type of antagonism inside that you do outside. We do good to all people, but especially each other. And I think my friend forgot that. This is a plan. This is Peter coming along and saying, hey, there's going to be some conflict or criticism. It's going to come your way. But you can squint and you can say, okay, I've got a plan. I can go to this person. I can speak truth and love. I can be gentle. I can do good. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, Sophie, I was doing some conflict resolution with my middle daughter, Sophie. And she's laying on her bed and we're working through this relational issue. And finally it reaches the point and she says, why are you asking me to do something that's just not fun? And I, I know that's true. It's not fun. It's so much easier to pound out an email like this. It's not fun, but it's always for the best to go to the person, to speak truth in a loving way, to be gentle, and as you have the opportunity, to do good. Here we go. Uh, But there's another way to say that phrase, here we go. I think you can say it not with a sigh, not with a squint, but also with a smile, a smile, maybe a little head nod. Here we go. Here we go. Notice what Peter says in verse 10. We got all that worked out. Then he says, now each one of you should use whatever gift he has received. Notice that language. You receive gifts from God. We can't control what gift you receive, but we can control whether it gets used or not. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Did you catch that? We rely heavily beyond the grace of God. We spent the month of January talking about our values of grace and growth and gifts. God's grace is everything to us. And it's connected to how he gifts us. This word administer, it actually means to steward, to be the manager of. In other words, you and I, through our giftedness, we steward, we manage the grace of God. If it gets permeated throughout this body and throughout this community, it's because you and I are serving according to our giftedness. This is beautiful. And I know when we talk about gifts, sometimes I hear people say, well, I just can't do what so-and-so does. I'm not gifted like them. Exactly. That's the point. God gives us different gifts to bring us together so that we're serving wholeheartedly and full steam ahead. I had a lady in my office last week in a beautiful moment. She's sitting, we're talking about serving other people. And she told me, I actually wrote a note on my whiteboard. These are her words. She said, I used to think serving other people was always, it had to be difficult. It had to be hard and it couldn't be fun. If it was fun, I wasn't really serving. And then with a smile, she said, but that's not the case. I'm doing what I'm wired to do, what I'm passionate about, and I love every moment of it. Can't you see her saying, here we go. I get what God wants to do through me, and I'm going to move forward in that full steam ahead. Here we go. That's what we want from you. 
Notice 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of gifts, same spirit, we need you. Different kinds of service, same Lord, we need you. Different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them and all men. We need every single gift in this church because God has given them to us and we need to manage them well. We need to be good stewards of them. So we've got this workshop coming up next Saturday. I know it's a little bit of an unorthodox time. It's on a Saturday evening from 7 to 9.30. Kim Stoltzfus is running wild with this and she's going to be facilitating it. Wonderful opportunity for you to sign up today in the lobby or online. Sign up for this workshop. It's our way of inviting you into the game, if you will. God has already done so and we're just reminding you that the invitation is there to get in touch with how you've been gifted, why you've been gifted differently and how you can practically serve and in doing so pass out God's grace. We'd love for you to be a part of that. We've already got about 20, 30 people signed up. If your schedule permits, sign up and come and learn about your gift, especially if you're one of the people who says, well, I don't really have a gift or I can't do what so-and-so does or I don't know what my gifts are, then this is for you. I'll never forget, first time I ever preached, I stood in front of about 15 to 20 people. I went to a really small church as a junior in high school, really small church. We didn't have a piano, an organ, any kind of instruments, just our voices. I was attracted to it because on Wednesday evenings, there was a retired ophthalmologist, brilliant man, probably the smartest man I've ever met in my life. And he would sit up on a stool in front of us as we were in our pews, and he would pull out these big maps, and he would teach like I've never heard anyone taught before, just enthralling. And he had this very slim New Testament, and it was green. I actually have that New Testament in my office. And he would just open it up, and teach from it. And I fell in love with that church. I fell in love with teaching. So the pastor asked me, he said, hey, you want to preach on a Sunday evening? And my first thought was, you know I'm in high school, right? What are you asking me to do this? And he said, no, no, I get it, but you want to give it a shot? And I said, sure. So he said, okay, come by my office over the next two weeks on Tuesdays, and I'll walk you through how to interact with Scripture and how to write out something to say to other people. And we did so. And I remember that day, believe it or not, I had about 20 pages of notes. And you know how long the message lasted. We clocked it at right at four minutes. <laughs> four minutes. I tell you, I remember that moment so clearly. I'm standing behind this monstrous pulpit. And it was one of the greatest moments of my life. I fell in love with the dynamic of teaching God's word. And for the past 23 years, I've thrown myself into that part of the game just because someone invited me. If you're able to come to this workshop, workshop it could literally change your life for the next 20 years. This could change how you go to church how you see yourself as part of the church. God could get you connected with exactly how he has gifted you and you can become the steward or the manager of his grace. 
that he's always intended you to be. And you can say, I can serve like that. That's something I can do. I can't do that, but I can do that. And you can say, okay, here we go. Here we go. I can do that. I'm going to be to your right. And whichever phase of here you go, here you go where you're in, I'd love to chat with you. If you say it with a sigh because you've got some conflict or criticism coming your way and you're just like, oh, again, here we go. Chat with me. Let me pray for you. Let me learn a little bit more about your story. Or maybe you're working out a plan because of the conflict or the criticism and you're squinting, what should I do? Okay, I need a little encouragement, but here we go. I'm gonna step up and speak with someone personally in love and with gentleness. Or maybe you're ready to roll. You just don't know where to plug in, but you're ready to plug in. And you're like, hey, here we go. Come on, stop talking, David, and let me get to serving. Let's chat about it and we can pray together. We good? Father, we thank you for pouring out your love on us. We thank you for this moment of clarity this morning where we can be reminded to be self-controlled, fully present, proper perspective, and then pray to you and listen and interact with you so that we can understand exactly how you've gifted us to serve others, so we can understand how to love when someone misses, so that we can be who you've called us to be. Here we go, God, in your power and for your purposes. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.